Hello, newsies. Uh, welcome to another episode of uh, Get the Flick Out of Here. I'm your host, Alex Blowski. I'm still sick. With me, as always, is Kate Elizabeth. She seems fine. Uh, Kate, how are you feeling? <laughs> I am congested, but I'm I'm better oh, off well. than you are. We didn't play our cute little intro. I know. I forgot. I'm sorry. I'm still. I'm so far out of it, and you know, it's just. Go look at our cute little intro on another episode. Go look at our cute little intro. It's. It, I'm. I'm. Maybe they'll add it in post. I don't know. Listen, <laughs> it's been a crazy week because I've been. I've been very sick coming out of being allergic to Indiana for the weekend last weekend Easter weekend. And mania now, week. We're coming off a lot of stuff. Listen, but... there's been a lot. A lot of stuff. So so now I I think I think I'm going to kick this thing's ass in another day or two. But for now, and because again. This was a Kate choice. I I I felt like I had been hogging all the choices. Um, and Kate came to me with this months ago for the first time, and I was like, "I don't know. I don't um, know. we gotta and, do it." <laughs> and and then she came back to me again, and I was like, "Listen, uh, it's, you it's your choice. You can do whatever you want." And I'm I still say this was a bad one to do for this for this for this podcast. It's a great movie. Which is precisely why I think it's a bad one to do for this thing because the movie is waiting for Guffman. The movie is, a, is waiting for Guffman, and it's Alex, a brilliant, we... brilliant, brilliant, brilliant mockumentary. Oh, it's so that, good. That I, all I have to say is, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. What are you doing here? You haven't seen Waiting for Guffman yet. Go watch that. Then come back and listen to us talk about it if you if you're so inclined. But I don't want to give away anything to anybody who hasn't seen it before, ever, because it's just it's too it's. The first time you experience it is a, a moment in your life you shan't soon forget. <laughs> so I don't want to spoil that in any way. I'll let Kate do that, and then I'll throw in some little tidbits there and then. But Kate will be driving for the rest of the show. I will. And part of why I did want to do this was, um, well, we attempted, because we had said a few weeks ago, Alex had said, you know, we said we were going to do weird films. We didn't say all of them mm-hmm. had to be bad. And we were no, on... True. As we get a streak of stinkers, mm-hmm. and we tried to switch that up with Big Trouble in Little China, but that wasn't really good. So I said, "Let's do something weird and good." I was allowed to pick for the first time. My ban has been lifted since the Hallmark movie era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> which I'm very excited about. But before we even like dive in, because I I try to keep in mind too, like. People who are younger than me, of which there are many now, which makes me sad. Mm. Um, I think a lot of people's first like introduction to mockumentary style stuff, like by default, was like The Office, Modern Family, like the television shows mm-hmm. that we got there. Um, but for me, like my gateway drug into like this kind of formula was the first one of the Christopher Guest movies I saw was Waiting for Guffman. But the first one was Spinal Tap, really. Like, that was the first Christopher Guest proper mockumentary movie. Um, And he went on to make many others. Best in Show was a really popular one. Mascots came out a few years ago, and it's I love it. It's absolutely hilarious. Um, But Waiting for a Guffman holds a special place in my heart because I did community theater and was a high school theater nerd and I know you're an actor. So I know you've gotten subjected to the experiences of many of the tropes that are kind of outlined in this. And so 
from your point of it being tricky to review, it is something that like you do just have to go experience because there's nothing like in the movie that we can talk about from like a plot perspective that is super groundbreaking. <coughs> it's just a group of people putting on a community theater show in a boring um town. But like part of what I fell in love with about it, Alex, was like I had I experienced some of the ridiculous over dramatic reactions to things that you get like in that community theater world. Mm-hmm. Like I can't even imagine for someone who was like a trained after I quit after high school. I wasn't like continuing mm-hmm. that. Like how much of this just like resonated with you, I'm sure. Um all of it. I mean the um I think the first time that I watched it I was in high school. Um uh it had, it, it was it had just come out on 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 uh on video because D- DVDs did not exist when I was in high school. Let me tell you a time about the VHS. <laughs> It was, it was black cassette tape. You put it into it was a video cassette recorder, but it also played. You put it in, and you'd, you'd have to. Well, they say be kind and rewind, but I I never did because I'm not kind. And it, no, um, uh, no, it was uh, yeah, it was it was. I was watching it with uh, my high school theater troupe, um, and uh, we just we were like, this is. You know, everybody started just doing lines from the, it is the day of the show, y'all. Like it was, <laughs> was just people would just walk around doing that anytime there, it wouldn't be like, oh, it's opening night. It was like anytime there was a show, people would just walk around and go, it is the day of day the show, of y'all. y'all. And that was, that was, that was it. Or you just, you do the, I had a friend who had the, the, the DQ monologue memorized. Just come oh, in, gosh. come in, get a Coke, get, get a Coke. If you're thirsty, get a Coke. So, um, yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, I watched all of this and immediately like knew most of it. And then as I got further and further, I was like, oh, that's in reference to that. That's in reference. Just the, um, the, the moment where they're all rehearsing, but they're building the set around them. (laughs) Like was like, I haven't been in, in a, in a panic that much. But there've been a lot of times where we're like, okay, this is the week of the show and the director because they're crazy and, and, and have too much power has decided I don't like the staircase there. I want the staircase there. So we only have two days until the show opens, come in, take the staircase out, move it around, rotate it and put it over there while we're rehearsing a number in the front. So, yeah. So we can, yeah, let's, let's dive into the review of what this is. Cause the other part of this that is so fun is like, why would you make a documentary about this? Which is tends to be like a reoccurring Christopher Guest thing, which I love about his work is that this is just a community theater play. Um, it takes place in Blaine, Missouri. It is the hundredth and fiftieth year anniversary of the town. And so there is an original production being uh, crafted here as a part of that celebration. The town takes it extremely seriously. The opening shot is them with like a model of the town moving things around. There's a big discussion about the porta potties of the town and how there's a lot of seniors on the parade route. Um, and then a guy comes in and starts talking about like the security they're going to need and where they should play snipers and all these things like very, very, very seriously taken here. Um, we learn 
about the history of Blaine, which is <laughs> inconsequential and beautiful. Yep. Uh, Blaine, Missouri was founded by the great Blaine Fabin, who was supposed to lead a group of about 30 settlers from Philadelphia to California. And they settled on their way um, in Blaine because they had reached a town. They had, they had set up a tent overnight. They were sitting in camp. And he said, do you smell the taste of salt water? We must have reached California. Um, but really, they had obviously just reached the river. Uh, and <laughs> there's even a line in there about how Blaine was able to convince them for a little bit that it was just low tide, but they, they soon realized mm-hmm. that they had not reached California, mm-hmm. but they loved Blaine. They wanted to stick around. They weren't upset by it. Um, and we learn about the big show that's going to be put on through a direct descendant of Blaine Fabian, his great, 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 great granddaughter or whatever, um, she tells us about the show that's happening. She's never even really left Blaine. Um, proud, proud descendant of this guy who made a mistake and they settled here. It's just like a, a really fun thing. But we then meet Corky St. Clair, who this was just like, one of my favorite things about this is like, I've met this guy. I've met all of these guys in my small town where I grew up in Binghamton, New York. Um, but Corky St. Clair is one of these New York types. He moved from New York to Blaine. He thought when he moved from New York, he was going to leave this life behind him. He had been a working choreographer there. He had been a working actor there. He thought he was going to be in construction and have one of those sweeping hats. Just a very, very fun thing. But darn it, if the acting life didn't pull him back in, he became a high school drama teacher. And then he founded the Blaine Community Players. Um, and it's here where we meet Ron and Sheila, who are Fred Willard and Catherine O'Hara, who are just um, the most hysterical community theater couple. They have day jobs as the travel agents, but they are like the community theater veterans, almost auditioning as a formality at this point. Um, just the chemistry between the two of them is so unbelievable. And you see the same actors, by the way, popping up in kind of this whole lineage of Christopher Guest movies, to them being two of them. Um, just the most crackerjack energy between them that I don't think you can, you, you couldn't ask for like a, a, a better interactions between two people on screen. Uh, we found out that they've never even left Blaine, except that Ron did for a minor surgery. I'm not going to spoil that. <laughs> it's too good. <laughs> it's too good. And we meet, um, who ends up being my favorite, you kind of referenced her a couple times, Libby, who is played by one of the most underrated comedic actors, I think, ever, uh, Parker Posey, who's just unbelievable in this. She's just a young woman who works at the Dairy Queen. Alex referenced the the monologue of working at the DQ for seven, eight months. Um, She takes you through her role at the DQ, her innovations for desserts there, have to see it, have to see it <laughs> to experience it. But they're all, they're so accessible, um, as is Dr. Alan Pearl. Um, he is a doctor in the town. He is the the rookie of the group here. It's played by Eugene Levy. We also meet his wife, who, um, she's a side character here, but her 
consistent reference to creative types like has never not made me laugh and i've watched this movie a million times like you know i think with these creative types um because there is like this weird thing at, at least where i grew up of like um even at this level they just they operate in this way that is so completely inaccessible that like i can't even understand and meanwhile it's like her husband is a, a doctor uh who is uh a generational talent we find out his grandfather mm. was very big in the yiddish theater known mm -hmm. for the hit bubby made a kishka mm -hmm. um but those are kind of the the main focal points of our mockumentary here corky and and this cast we're gonna meet johnny swinger in a little bit and a lot of these other side characters but i just loved how accessible everybody was i have done community theater with all of these types of people all of these people feel very real to me there's probably a little bit of of kate and libby at some points like there's it's so tangible if you've been in theater it's it's just an absolute blast um yeah no there's uh because i did a fair bit of community theater as well um and it is it is true you find the the people who've like well, I've done the last six years of this, you know, of, of this thing. So I know every, I know all there is to know. Um, they never they took an acting class a day in their life. So, so, so they do know all the lingo, but you know, they said, like, hello, I am now going to talk to you about the thing. And they're like, okay, nobody told you how to modulate your voice or any of that. But it, but it is, um, no, those people are, are, are all very true. All the townspeople feel very true. That's what the, the documentary, mockumentary thing is. You have to make the people as real as possible or it's not going to play. And uh, I thought all the townspeople were great. The mayor played by the great Larry Miller. Um, uh, so good. It, it's, it's, all, it's all excellent. Just the idea of this. We're having this big sesquicentennial. Uh, so we want to have a, a big play about that to cap off our festivities which include, you know, a small town festival, which is a parade, a pie eating contest, hog judging, you know, all this stuff <laughs> that you would do. Um, uh, but they have all, they, they, they make sure to tell you all of these seminal moments in the history of Blaine, the founding of it, uh, when a little boy gave uh, President McKinley a footstool yes. that he loved so much. Uh, he took back with him to Washington, D.C., and then ordered a whole bunch more from the town to give to all his friends and foreign dignitaries. So there was a stool boom, <laughs> and Blaine became the stool capital of the world, which, of course, is a, is a double entendre, uh, if you will, about, about poop. So, um, sure uh, uh, yeah, so there's that, and then there was the, that they, uh, they beat the Roswell um, uh <laughs> UFO crash by like nine months because theirs happened in in uh, in a forty six, so um, so there's there's all that they have this wonderful one scene of David Cross, who is a UFO expert, <laughs> who is measuring a crop circle, um, and he's decided that the reason why they came to Blaine is because if you mix up the words Blaine, you get an anagram for Nabali. Which of course is a pla in a planet we've never discovered before, uh, out in, in a farther galaxy. Um, but it's one scene of David Cross being hilarious, and this whole thing is that all of the there aren't any jokes. 
No. It's just these people being wacko. And yeah. and and uh and but true to themselves in their in their wackiness. Um so everything uh is all set up for um we meet all these people and then uh the auditions uh, uh go as you would expect, I suppose. So because you grew up in California or, or you were in California. Okay. I mean I, I spent time in California, yeah. Did you ever have the experience? Because I'll two things right off the bat that I was just like in stitches about. Um, did you ever have the experience of like they're from New York or they're from LA come to you? Because like it was a huge deal if somebody who made it probably to the second round of an audition from Broadway like came to mm-hmm. to to mm-hmm. where I grew up in upstate New York. Um, like. Yeah. I mean, uh, some, like, once when I was out of college doing summer stock and you'd have somebody came through and they were like, oh, you know, they were on, they were on the tour for Kiss Me Kate. So, you know what I mean? Like, they were on, they were on that, they were on that show. They were on the tour. Oh, really? What would they play? Oh, they were, they were an understudy to the understudy, but they were on the tour. But they were on the tour. They were swing, but yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. That was, so yeah, no, no, that's, I actually met people on that, on that show. Um, uh, from that show, who were very, very, very impressed, and would always like, oh no, I did, I did a touring production. And like, you were the alternate to the alternate to the alternate who they had to call because <laughs> somebody got food poisoning. But okay, cool. It was cool. like I'm in such a small town in upstate New York. It was a big deal when somebody returned from New York from the perspective of just like they had made it out of Binghamton and mm-hmm. were trying. Like mm-hmm. the fact that they were down there auditioning was like enough that they were like a they were a god when they came back and what was fun about that was like that i felt like contributed to so much of the like the way people were assigning weight to things in community theater and i hadn't like lived a ton of real life yet so Mm -hmm. watching this out of that context is even more fun um but the other thing is like the stool boom thing the town that i grew up in in upstate new york is literally known for carousels that's the big claim to fame they have carousels in their parks and they're free. And the um that hallmark of a small town, like that you have to be known for something <laughs> when it's so not important. I was just and to your point, the fact that they obviously chose stools as a double entendre was such a mm-hmm. fun thing. Um, but I just, I remember the first time I watched as I was in high school. And I remember even growing up being like, who the hell cares about carousels? Like why? It's a part of like the, the history there or whatever. But like just the idea of like, we have to make a big deal out of it so that we feel like we have something was, mm-hmm. I just was absolutely, absolutely rolling at that. And it, it makes me laugh every time. Cause it just, it, it, when mockumentaries are done well, it, feels like pieces of your life. That's why I think the office was so successful is people were like, Oh my God. Yeah. I've had this coworker before I've run into this situation at work so often, but we also in the alien sighting piece of it that you mentioned, we do meet a guy who was probed by them, which I think is so fun. Like this whole alien sighting is just based on these two wackadoo conspiracy theorists, but they've made it a part of their history, Mm -hmm. which is just the most delicious thing. Um, the auditions are done, like you said, (laughs) exactly as you would expect them to go. The most perfectly community theater way possible. There is a 
a guy who's on the board who couldn't call out of work to audition and Corky being the like hard ass New Yorker that he is says them's breaks. You can't be in the show. He's very upset about it. They reference it several times. Um, but we do get uh, Libby auditioning with teacher's pet crushes it. Um, the old standbys Ron and Sheila. My favorite thing in that audition is um, you do have to watch it and I don't want to spoil too much. But when you said like they know all the lingo he, they're like trying to move. I think it's a garbage can out of the way. And he's like, should we strike it? Should we, stri-? I, know, I know some of the lingo. This is my first audition. So like the, uh, just the, the, I'm so nice, but my ego is the size of the room uh-huh. stuff is right. absolutely hysterical. Dr. Pearl, the breakout star here. Um, he was kind of looked down upon by Ron and Sheila. Like, what are you uh-huh. even doing around here? But, uh, the audition panel is, is blown away. um, and we do see some auditions of people that don't make it, which are great. We see a monologue from Running Bull. We see people doing theater tricks instead. But what's fun for this is like you just meet more depth of the characters that you already kind of met on a surface level as we're like narrowing in here. Um, I did the Midnight and Oasis Ron and Sheila bit as an audition for a community theater play that I auditioned with because I, the director was my high school teacher and we were very familiar with this film. Uh, I, I was inspired, <laughs> but this is, this is how they go. There's a big green chalkboard in the background. Mm-hmm. It's just oh, yeah. a classroom. Everybody's stretching in the hallway, acting like it's this huge presentation and deal. Yeah, super, super I, fun. I also want to point out, uh, Bob, um, Balaban, um, again, a staple of Christopher guest stuff. Um, uh, little little bespectacled bearded man, uh, who is the, uh, the music teacher, the demoted at, at the high at the high school. He's the music teacher, and so he is the music musical director of this thing, and he is incredibly competent. Yes, the one one million percent the best thing about this play is the music. Lyrics not so much, but the music is beautiful and and intricate. I don't know where in this tiny little town in in um in Missouri they found the clarinetist to play uh the the clarinet part to the stool boom song but like come on um uh, but I love that he is uh very competent, very serious about his craft um and knows that he does not have final say because Corky decides everything. So he tries to put in his two cents and then uh, Corky was like, yeah, I, I, I like, I think, I think he's very good. Okay. Well, all right. I'll just over okay. here and I'll be very, very repressed. I'll be very repressed as I write my notes. Um, but that is a thing. That is very much a thing in the world of, of musical theater is a musical director who absolutely knows their stuff and a director director who has no idea what they're doing. Um, and also because almost <laughs> all director directors in theater have incredible ego complexes. Uh, so the musical director who's like, I, I do think we're going to need some more time to work on this number. <laughs> like, no, oh, they're fine. We're going to go over here and we're going to, we're going to work through this over here. Uh, and always the musical directors like grits their teeth, just goes back to, rehearsing with the band when, when he knows uh, we're not, no, no, the, the chorus is not hitting those notes that we're supposed to, but I'm not going to say anything because 
I'm just going to collect my check and hate myself until I die. So. That's basically it. Yeah, a lot yeah. of music directors, a lot of music teachers at high school. Oh, this is also something that um, very much connected. Like so many times, that's like a classically trained musician or oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. somebody who would spend 10 hours a day in their room playing piano if, if they mm-hmm. had their druthers and they like get put in these situations. Um, and it's also fun because nobody in this movie is reasonable except for Lloyd, which is this guy, to your point. Like, right. he is the only person in the kind of the entire town that is any sort of like centered, realistic idea of what's going on here. Um, so then we get into just some really, really fun stuff with, uh, um, we get, we meet Johnny Swinger who gets handpicked by Corky. Johnny Savage. Johnny Savage. Johnny Swinger. I'm in Impact World. Oh my God. Johnny Swinger is a wrestler on Impact. Johnny Savage. Heartbreaker. Um, he's a mechanic. He's a student. And he gets handpicked to be the romantic counter to Libby in the musical. Um, we see the narrator, Cliff, who is like an old homestay in the town, get selected by uh, Corky to, to be. So we're, we're now getting the cast rounded out a little bit. There is also just some really fun scenes here where they're going through these acting exercises. And Alex, they all mean something. Mm-hmm. Um, the ridiculousness of these exercises is just so perfectly pitched to, um, the nonsense that you would do to, to warm up your, yourself as an actor in a small town. I mean, just hysterically done. Not just in small towns, like in just everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's just true. Everywhere. Just, there's nothing I hated more. And these nonsensical acting warm-ups. That, that, no, there's nothing I miss less about being an actor than going into rehearsal. I'm like, all right, warm-ups. 30 minutes of warm-ups. Like, the, the, the rehearsal's two hours long. Can we start rehearsing the scene? I want to figure out what my motivations are in this scene that I have with my dad, who's about to leave the family. But I've got to do shake it out. Shake it out. <laughs> I'm never playing a tree in this play. I'm not. It's by Arthur Miller. I'm not playing a tree. It's by Arthur Miller. Why do I have to shake it out and be a tree? But I, I promise you, this is not this is not hyperbole. This is not satire. This exact I there wasn't bongos, but there was a ukulele at one point. Somebody used to lay ukulele to make us dance to a ukulele. Uh, yeah, no, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's bad. It's a bad thing. It's so funny. I remember my sister went to acting school in New York and she, um, as a woman in her thirties now, like she can look back on stuff through a different lens, especially because she, she ultimately ended up in a wheelhouse of like improv. So the exercises you do for that usually have a little bit more of an sure. intention, but when she she was like, when I think about the the professors that would come in with their extremely serious, now not in the hindsight of an eighteen year old, absolute bullshit, uh, <laughs> it cracks her up. She was like, I weep for the the dollars that my parents spent on some of the stuff there because mm. it was just 
um, just the most up your own ass kind of stuff, but a hilarious scene in here, especially we see, you know, Dr. Pearl's so new to all this, right? We see a lot of, of that being set in. Um, and then we get what is one of my favorite performances that I've ever seen of someone acting drunk in on television or movies. Catherine O'Hara playing drunk is one of the funniest things I have just ever seen. It doesn't feel off base from someone actually being drunk and the way that she lets information fall out of her mouth is it evokes the exact reaction of when you're sitting next to a friend who is drunk and won't shut up and you just want to put your hands over their face. Um, but they reveal what the minor surgery that um, her husband had to leave town for was. There's a very inappropriate conversation. I'm not going to reveal what it is because it's just too damn funny. But um, Dr. Pearl and his wife being out with them um, is is just like this little side scene that doesn't need to happen, but absolutely had me in stitches. Um, and then in the next scene or the next practice we go to is when we find out kind of like the, the big deal for this movie, which is that, um, Mort Guffman is being sent to attend the play, the musical. Um, he is a big New York guy and the only reasonable conclusion that you can draw from finding this out is that they're there it's very possible and i would even dare say likely that this production will be brought to broadway mm-hmm. um that's what quirky says there's this really great line delivery of we, we might be going to broadway um and just the idea that a a musical that is crafted about a small town in missouri um even the very best one ever done alex just i, I don't think it's going to broadway <laughs> It also has one performance ever. Yes, like only, yeah, this is only the only once. one. <laughs> they're not showing it like two matinees, like a matinee on Saturday, evening show on Saturday, another matinee on Sunday, closing. They don't, they don't, they're not doing that one. Uh, that that was that was the style back in the early days that I remember. But uh, no, um, this yes, definitely not. I love the idea that I I send a bunch of letters to producers all over Broadway and, and one of them said they might send Mort Guffman <laughs> which is also just like delightful name hence we get Waiting for Guffman as the title of this film um, and upon that news Corky does the only reasonable thing here which is to go and ask the town for more money maybe my favorite scene in the film the way this unfolds he asks for more money um it's a very drawn out, like, oh, it feels like pulling teeth, whatever. And the town says, how much more do you need? And he says, I need a hundred grand. And they say, they laugh at him sincerely thinking it's a joke. Um, and they say that the, you know, the budget of the whole weekend isn't even a hundred grand, much less for this, the show. And um, Corky is just, can't believe it. Like, he's just... Not not disheartened, but sincerely very upset and mad. And he doesn't know how he can work like this. And he doesn't know how he can put up with you people. Um, and he's he's going to go home and he's going to bite his pillow, Alex. That's what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what unfolds next is just the most delightful um, unfolding of what feels like could very much be a, a real thing that happened in, in small town community theater. The next rehearsal 
Um, Corky no-shows it. And to your point earlier, Lloyd Miller, the musical director, steps up. He has also done this before. We find out earlier that he used to be in charge of all these types of things until the big New Yorker came in. Mm -hmm. Um, And he says, why don't we work on some music? And then we'll leave some time for, you know, rehearsing the rest of the show and dance. And all the cast members are just concerned about Corky. They leave rehearsal and they go to his apartment and they're banging on the door. My favorite line from this scene is um, Libby saying, come out, Corky, we want you to live. (laughs) He is in the bathtub distraught. Um, And the entire cast starts reevaluating their life. They don't think the show can continue without Corky, of course. Um, He is the heart and soul of it. Um, Libby's going back to the DQ. There's, there's all of these moments of, and I love it because it's just so, so genuine how much weight people assign to absolute nonsense in, in, in truly in, in theater, but in any environment where things become extremely insular, I feel like that's common. Like I remember even, even my sister saying like when she was waitressing, she would like, the, the amount of nonsense that didn't matter that would mean so much to you in those moments of someone stealing your table or someone getting something wrong or whatever. Um, but just the absolute hysteria of like, well, I thought my whole life was going to be different because I thought we were going to Broadway, but I guess now I'm just going to go back to my whole home life because Corky left the show. When you have someone right there who can guide you is so much fun executed so well here did you ever have anybody walk out on a rehearsal um uh sure sure plenty of times um uh yeah i mean it always got resolved very quickly but it would be like oh okay so um because like i said all all directors are prima donnas who who were who who were somehow terrible actors but got somebody to give them a bunch of money to to put on a a show um um, but yeah, it's, uh, my, yeah, there's, they're all, I won't say most 49 and a half percent of directors are head cases. So, um, you know, like, uh, 50%, I won't, I won't, I won't give the majority to not head cases. That's very exactly nice. half of directors are head cases. That's um, you're being generous on that. I am. I mean, uh, so um, my my wife was actually actually worked for a guy who straight up lied about who he was. Just lied, like, like she she was she was in the business. She was a stage manager, and worked for a summer in South Dakota with a guy who straight up just lied. What? Like he said that he was he was you said he was up for, God I can't remember the name of the of the award at Washington D.C that he was up for like six of these awards for directing a show that not only did he not direct, did not exist, but like everybody thought he was so cool and so great. And they left working for him. He was very much a quirky type. Um, So everyone just loved working for him because he was so much fun. Um, And then someone like, because they didn't have Wi-Fi and not everybody had smartphones. There was no service way out where they were doing so eventually when the simple when they got like when they were passing through Pierre or something on tour, people wanted to look up and it was like, like 
Um, this this guy's not actually nominated for the show. Doesn't exist. They're like googling all this stuff, and uh, somebody confronted him, and he just he just quit because he got called out. He he didn't have to tell the lie. Just quit, quit. And so the assistant director handled the rest of the tour. They were already on tour. They already rehearsed everything. They already opened. They were on tour through South Dakota um, for a summer. But he just quit. He left. He left the tour. He went away. Nobody ever saw him again. He just, he was confronted. He lied. He yelled. This is all a horrible lie. You've lied to me. And uh, I'm going back to my room. And then he checked out in the middle of the night and got in his car and left. And nobody ever heard from him again because he was called out in a lie he did not have to tell. Oh, my. that is beautiful. <laughs> So they, it was a traveling production, and he just left yes. in the middle of the night. Yeah, as far as I can remember, this was uh, ten years ago. Now we weren't even married at that point. But uh, yeah, no, my the you know my my I remember my wife being like, "Hey, um, <laughs> you ever ever heard of this award? You know?" And I was like, "What?" Because we were thinking maybe Gary isn't who Gary says he is. And I was like, because I didn't know who he was. I wasn't on tour with her. I was states away. It's like, could you maybe get on the computer and look up this for me? Because, like, also in his resume, none of the things were real. I don't oh, know exactly. No. Was so, that even his name? Who knows? I, I don't even, I don't, exactly. I don't even, I don't even know uh, uh, where along the line he convinced enough people that he was who he was without being who he was, that he got the job directing this little summer stock production in yeah. South Dakota. So. Wow. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, the, there's only one way that the production can go on, Alex, and that is on the back of Corky and the town right. leads to get him back. <laughs> hmm. In a very incredible, uh, without without the show, uh, there's not really a celebration. And without the celebration, there's not really Blaine. And without Blaine, there's not really a Missouri. And without Missouri, I don't even want to think about <laughs> what the world could be. Yep. So good. Corky agrees to come back to the show. Talks about how really it was the challenge that has been thrown his way. Um, we have also seen earlier in the film, I can't believe I forgot this. Um, Corky had talked about the other productions he had done, um, which included a production of Backdraft in which they had put embers um, into the vents because they wanted to create the illusion. They were burning newspapers in the vents. Burning newspapers in the vents because they wanted to create the illusion that the audience was really trapped in a fire. Well, when you do Mm -hmm. that, (laughs) it sets off the fire alarm. Um, so he, it's just his creative mind that he needed this extra funding for, but he's going to rise to the challenge. We go back to rehearsals. Everything is back on track. Um, this is where we get the first glimpse of the stool boom number, which is my favorite in the show. Um, we get a discussion with Dr. Alan Pearl about not wearing his glasses, which are extremely thick. Um and we do find that he has a, a Shawn Michaels eye, a little bit of a wandering eye, but glasses weren't around in the early days of Blaine. 
um, that comes into play a little bit later. So you just see all these decisions being made that are, are forcing things to fall apart a little bit in a really, really fun way. Um, and then we finally get to the day of the show, y'all. We get to the musical and Johnny Savage, the heartbreak kid, calls out of the show. Uh, well, he doesn't. His dad oh, that's calls right. it. His dad runs the machine, the machine, the, the mechanic shop. Um, Brian Doyle Murray, the brilliant Brian Doyle Murray, is one scene in this film where Corky is recruiting Johnny Savage to come play in, in his thing, and he kind of sidles up. He's like, look, he looks over at Corky Sinclair, like, who is this guy? <laughs> Did you uh, change the fan belt on that Chevy yet? No, no, <laughs> not, not yet, Paul. Okay, well, when you're done with this, you will get on that. Sure thing. He just looks at him again and just walks away. Brilliant. <coughs> okay. Um, it's the day of the show. There were never any understudies here. There's only one solution that could come into play, and that is that Corky has to fill in for Johnny Savage. Um, it's ill cast to say the least it's ill fitting costuming it is a hilarious substitution of what we get and that was really fun is after we've overcome all of this adversity alex what i love about the show is we basically get to see the musical um yeah we see an intermission so it's kind of implied that we're not seeing it in full necessarily but like we get to actually see a few musical numbers. We get to see the narrator that they talked about do the opening narrating scene. Uh, there's a square dance number. There's the stool boom number. There's the ballad duet Penny for Your Thoughts number. Uh, Dr. Pearl as the alien has a little musical shimmy in here. Uh, and I, I really appreciate it about that, that we like actually get to see the show. Everybody's raving about it at the intermission. Did you have any favorite... Um, I, the stool scene is just like my favorite thing in in the world. That's that's my my big musical number from this that I love. Did you have any like favorite things from the actual show that got presented? Well, I think uh, for me, um, <clears throat> the penny for your thoughts ballad. If you extricate it from this and put it in any musical about like the 1920s or whatever. It, and you just said, this belongs in this. And you showed it to somebody who doesn't know it any different. They would, they would accept it. Yeah. There's nothing 100%. about the number that is out of place in a story about, you know, like it's a, it's a, it's a very sweet little, ultimately nothing ballad, but it's like, it's sweet and it's there. And it's, it, it is, it feels right. But, in the hands of of Parker Posey <laughs> and Christopher Guest, in this context, it's abjectly hilarious because uh, you know that that's not what is not what you should see. But um, uh, that's why I love about it is that you can tell um, that uh, it is um, the life's work, the culmination of life's work of Lloyd, the music director. Who's, by the, the way, his name Lloyd Miller. Like Andrew Lloyd Miller with the Andrew cutoff is such a right. great. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, but 
Andrew Lloyd Webber. Oh, right. Yeah, it felt, it felt, yeah. it felt intentional. <laughs> um, uh, but no, Lloyd is very, I believe Lloyd is very uh, intentional, but that he is so good at this, he could actually write a real musical that might be good enough to go to Broadway. The music is certainly good enough. Yes. Um, but, uh, but I love that he's, he's there and he's, he's directing the thing. The, back down. And he's wearing a, a full tuxedo. They have a whole overture that plays for like 15 minutes before the show starts. It's, I love how serious he is and how beyond like, like this is, this to him is his life. Yes. This is his life. And he's very serious about it and very good at it. And somehow trapped in Blaine, Missouri with all of these friggin' yahoos. It's, it's such a fun through line. It should it, have a hundred percent, CEO. It it, it it it's weird. I will say it is weird. It's, no, but it's but it's it's it's, but it's weird. Brilliant. But it is it is brilliant. Um, I do. I love the music and I love the overture. And there's actually like one thing that's important from the the movie perspective. I think is with any musical comedy, the actual music usually has to be pretty good because you yeah. like even um like any any comedy band or whatever it's like you have to be in control of the joke if we're laughing at the fact that you're bad at it you can't do both of those things at the same time so like the fact that these actually felt like show tunes like the the flashy stool boom number the soft Mm -hmm. ballad you get here like we've talked about that at length on this because we've done so many things that are like parody driven of like Mm -hmm. if you're gonna do parody like you have to be in control of what's funny and i feel like with musical comedy that can get really dangerous like you have to it has to sound like a show tune so that what's contrasted yeah. against it is the funny part. Um, but it is it is very fun that he is so, like, in on every note is finally mm-hmm. to, oh, it's so fantastic. So the show is, of course, a smash. Um, and they go to get the big news, essentially. Mort Goffman, there's a man in his seat. They bring him backstage. Corky asks, um, what did you think of the show? And he says it was great. And he says, Meal night, that's such good news. Please come back and meet the cast. The cast can't believe they're meeting Morton Guffman. And then we find out the heartbreaking news. This is a spoiler. <coughs> you don't want it. Tune out now. That was just a guy sitting in Mort Guffman's seat. Mort Guffman never showed. Heartbreaking. But really the victory is in the journey. Um but we do find out uh, in what I loved of of the mockumentary style, too, of we we see where everybody's at in their lives now. How have their lives been affected by this musical after the news? We find out that Dr. Allen is in Miami. Uh, he's he's playing the best hits at a at a senior center, senior home. Um because he was meant to entertain, not be a doctor. He's following in his uh, grandfather's footsteps, I think it was, uh, with the song Bobby Made a Kishka is what he's playing when we see him on the keyboard in his Hawaiian shirt. Part of the through line of his character in that is like, he feels like he missed his call. And like, this is what he's supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. So he goes to pursue it. Uh, Ron and Sheila <laughs> are on a commercial set. Their dreams have always been for the silver screen. They have mm-hmm. not been. Uh, their whole role in this commercial is just that they're supposed to be holding, I, I believe it's a jar of salsa. 
Um, and they keep just trying to overtake the set with their um, ideas, which is just a really, really, really fun thing. And we find out Corky moved back to New York. The first thing he did when he got back was called up Mr. Guffman, who was extremely apologetic about the whole thing and offered him uh, an audition spot for one of his upcoming <laughs> shows. And mm-hmm. Parker Posey went back to back to the DQ. Alex, she's she stuck around. Different DQ. A different one, yeah. She's she's moving. She was up on her way she... to New York, but then she found out that her dad got out of prison because he didn't actually kill anybody. So she's living with her dad in Alabama, working at a different DQ. It's true. Um, um, and she still has yeah. so many ideas for the desserts and the evolutions yeah, of that. So many ideas. She could be a manager in no time. Uh huh. Um, and yeah, and so Corky also opened his own little curio shop near Times Square where he sells all of his things, uh, including you know, like a bunch of in joke stuff. But it was, it was, yeah, it's it's cute. I, 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 the, the, the one thing of, of that is nothing in this movie actually does it except for this that does that triggers the Alex brain. <laughs> One thing, and this is the only time I've ever noticed this before. I don't know how many times I've seen this movie, maybe a dozen times. Um, the they actually show the festival. They show people hanging out, eating corn on the cob. Yes, you know, at the, the festival, yep. the parade, and everything. Um, it, they obviously filmed it in a little town somewhere in the Midwest in the dead of summer because everyone's wearing cutoff shirts. Do you remember why? Because they gave him a little telegram. A little telegram. A note, a, a message was left for Corky. Oh, you're Corky. right. Corky. said, like, like um, uh, Corky, like, somebody comes in, it's like, the house manager comes in and says, here, I'm sorry, somebody called left a message for you. I'm sorry, I'm just getting it to you now. After the show. And Corky, uh, after you find out that it wasn't actually Mort Guffman, it was Ron Loomis, who was just down from Deming, uh, his his niece had a baby, so he's in town for that and figured he'd come see a show uh, and just happened that was the only seat left was the one reserved for Mort Guffman. There you go. Um, but Guffman says, huge snowstorm in New York, all flights canceled. Sorry, Mort Guffman. It wasn't, I mean, like, either they're, make a different reason for it or that's an awesome, complete lie by Mort Guffman. I was going to say. Because it's the dead of summer. There's no way it's not summer. No, it's definitely not wintertime. Yeah, no I was going to say, because there's like climate differential, but for it to be that. Not that much. They portrayed in Missouri. Yeah, not that much. Not and not, like, in in yeah. Missouri, it's warmer than it is in, in, well, some places in Missouri. It's warmer than it is in Chicago and in, 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 in New York in the wintertime, but not that. Not, so, yeah, not um, snowstorm differential. I, I I do want it to be a thing where like Mort had no intention of coming. Of course, he came up yeah. with the worst worst thing possible. Sorry, there's huge snowstorms. Oh, snowstorms. Well, the old I gotta walk my goldfish excuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so funny. I never caught that either. I mean, I'm not as detailed as you, but um, that's really funny. It's a curse. I, that's something I would I would ask Christopher Guest because I need to know. Mm, yeah, no. I, um, uh, waiting for Guffman is the first. In these, um, I don't think it's the best though. What's your favorite? Best in show. Okay, yeah, I can. I, I like. Mean, I have a hard time picking because, like, 
Spinal Tap is so unbelievable. And I'm but, such but, no, a but like, no, like, Spinal Tap's its own thing. Okay, if Spinal like, Tap is its own thing. Its own thing. Like, best it, in it Show is, is probably a dozen years before this one came out. Like it was its, it, it stood alone as its own thing for a decade. Nobody even attempted to make anything close. The same wheelhouse. Going it. Yeah. And Waiting for Guffman came out, and a few years later, Best in Show. But uh, Best in Show, because you just get all the dogs, too. Uh, oh, um, so good. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, there's just some stuff in, in Best in Show that I can't I can't handle. It's, it's so funny. It, and it, it and is. It's, and, it's, and it's not supposed to be funny. Because also, I, what I love is when Christopher Guest gets to uh, play so dramatically against the different types of people he's played in the past. Yes. Because yeah. because the the blood ho- the bloodhound <laughs> handler who drives a giant RV talking about says, nuts. <laughs> yeah. My mama used to talk to me about nuts and now I can name all the nuts. Macadamia nut. Like the way he says macadamia nut and it because it's also <laughs> that's the guy who I just watched play Corky St. Clair, who's definitely not the macadamia nut guy. No. Um, <clears throat> well, yes, CO, Houston and Chicago are very different. Missouri, I don't think it was 80 in Missouri when it was showing in Chicago, because Chicago was four hours from, from Missouri. So I, there's right. difference. But there's a difference. Um, also, 1995... I don't want to break it to you, but the climate was different back then. It was a little different. Because there was never, it was never 80 in Houston when it was snowing in Chicago in 1995, <laughs> I guarantee you. Yeah, no. Um, it's very possible that that was intentional. Like that they made that as a, um, this guy been. never had an intention of going thing. Because I might have missed it, and you might have missed it until now, but I feel like Christopher Guest would. Yeah. For for the reason he didn't show up to be that important, like right. I, I think it's extremely possible that he was like, let's give the most BS reason we could. Um, I I, I love this movie; it's so much fun. I'm guessing the nine percent of people that didn't like it probably just don't. Um, uh, like it it has it hits a little different. I know people that weren't in community theater that that love this movie, but when you when you feel like you've lived it a little bit. It, it does hold like, I think a little bit of a, a special place. I loved best in show too. It, it is probably a little bit stronger than this. I loved the, the mascots one that came out a few years ago was great too. Um, but Christopher guest using this format to tell stories about these extremely trivial things, but using mockumentary style to, to, lean into the fact that if you're making a documentary about something, it's automatically important is, is just a, a continually very fun thing. And the, the cycle of actors that he brings in for all of his work is just, it's a blast. They're all perfect. Keeping this flick in so oh, super well, hard and yeah. arguably not, not even a question. Have you seen any of the, the, the Bill Hader and Fred Armisen TV show documentary now? I haven't, and I need to. <laughs> it's 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 so good because they're also they're short form, but they're also all of them are lampooning specific famous documentaries. Oh, okay. 
So like it's it's our parody mockumentaries of other real documentaries. Oh, that's so, so like fun. the the level of like intricacy of all of it. And again, none of that would be per- possible without Christopher Guest's uh, work bit, here. Yeah. It's 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 one of those things of like for nine percent of the population, that was this wrong. movie is just this movie is just too weird. Like. I don't understand why do we supposed to care about these people? Like kind of a thing of like, I don't understand. Like a mockumentary is a weird thing to do just sure. as an idea for a movie. Um, and there are 9% of the population who are wrong for, for whom that will not work. But for the other 91% of you give this a shot. Cause it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's brilliant. And uh, the others as well, best in show, mascots a mighty wind a mighty wind which, yeah i forgot yeah which is about oh folk God. music um it's so good a mighty wind's great because it brings back guys from uh spinal tap yes it's all about yeah. music so we get harry harry shearer comes back michael mckeon comes back so they actually get to watch them play their actual instruments because they're both brilliant that's the thing about about uh spinal tap it's amazing is it's all them like yeah. it's them playing the music while doing the characters. The that's soundtrack's right. perfect. Spinal Tap. Like if you haven't seen if you haven't seen Spinal Tap, I don't. Like you, had, you, you have to. You have to see Spinal Tap. Yeah, no shame on you. For like that. You, you have. Yes, I mean, I want. Uh. Um, that's interesting. You said that about Bill Hader and Fred Armisen too, because one of my favorite SNL sketches ever, and it is widely known if you've seen stuff from me that I hate pop punk, and that. Uh, uh, they did one of the most brilliant, um, underrated in my opinion, sketches of a fake band, very much like a behind the scenes VH1 documentary type format, um, where it was a fake band where one of the members just thought that Maggie Thatcher was great. Yeah. <laughs> Which is so brilliant. Mm-hmm. It was just this, hey... They were like, we thought he was back when he released Living in the Gutter, but then he came back with, hey, Maggie Thatcher, you're all right. And we just thought, like, it is so perfectly, perfectly done. It makes me really happy to hear that um, Fred Armisen and Bill Hader mm-hmm. are, are killing it with what they're doing now, because I always loved, loved, loved that. But yeah, this was like a, a pretty, for the time, like groundbreaking format. And mm. we see so much of it, especially on TV now. It's it's kind of funny to think like yeah. it took a, a couple decades for it to catch up on, on television because yeah. it's a, a different world there because you've got seasons, yeah. right? Not mm-hmm. one story. Mm-hmm. But very fun. Yeah. Definitely no, weird. Definitely... definitely first of its kind. But go mm-hmm. go watch it if you haven't seen it because yeah. the no, medium is the... the message here. Yeah, there's yeah, there's we, nothing yeah, we can yeah. say. <laughs> You have to see it. That's the other thing. You have to see it. So um, uh, we'll we'll pick something uh, uh, more. I don't know, lampoonable. Yeah. Uh, next week, I don't know what it'll be. More something more to sink our teeth into. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so. So I'm I'm two for three in a weird way. Like Marcel Deschel, I think was mine. That was a home run. Yeah. 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 Swing and a miss on the old Hallmark movies. Yeah. Uh, this one was somewhere in between in that it was really fun to watch, but it's incredibly it. hard to review. Yeah, so I'm like, but in, but in, but I'll never say no to watching it. Yeah, and, that's a good one. and and if we've introduced even one person, just one, 
just one person out there to waiting for Guffman and therefore the rest of the Christopher Guest's uh, work, then it's worth it. It's the Lord's work we're doing. Mm -hmm. No, it's very important <laughs> work that we're doing. It's the Lord's work indeed. Until until next time, when we will do more of the Lord's work. Uh, next time we will tell you whether or not we're going to get the flick out of here. Bye, everybody. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Click the subscribe button and find out what it means to me. Nah, that doesn't have a ring to it. But if you like videos about real news stories that are funny, stupid, or weird, subscribe now.